When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833 833- 995 gold that's 833-995-GOLD, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. And 30. That means it's time to get going. Hi, folks. Great to have you here with us as yet another excursion into broadcast excellence is up and running. Great to have you here as always. The telephone number, if you want to be on the program, 800-282-2882. And feel free to send an email if you want. The address, lrushpo at eibnet.us. So big signing ceremony at the White House in mere moments for the peace deal between uh, Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. And we mentioned the significance of this a couple of times. Uh, the, the, The real significance of this is that the Palestinians have sort of been um, rendered irrelevant in the whole deal. And in the past, it was the Palestinians which were the focus, the focal point. They could stop anything from happening, and they did. I remember Bill Clinton offered Yasser Arafat virtually everything he wanted back in the mid-1990s. And Arafat ran away from that deal faster than he's probably ever run because they didn't want a deal. They wanted to continue to be able to complain and whine and moan. So the thing about it is, is that the the inside the Beltway swamp dwellers have one way of doing things. And they've got one way of doing things for peace in the Middle East, for negotiating with communist governments and all that, and none of it, none of it really ever works. And that's just fine with Washington bureaucrats. When there is no solution, then you still have a need for bureaucrats supposedly working very hard for a solution. In many cases, the worst thing that can happen is a solution. So here you have Donald Trump. You have an outsider 
who doesn't know of the way, well, he knows of the ways of the swamp, but he doesn't subscribe to them. He doesn't believe in them. He's frustrated, like any normal human being who is sufficiently informed on these matters, that what is the point here? I mean, if we're going to have Middle East peace, we've got to have Middle East peace. If it's really going to be an objective, then why don't we have it? We've been working on this for 70 years. Been going out the same way. So Trump comes in with Jared Kushner, and as uh, Ari Fleischer just tweeted, one of the fascinating things about today's peace agreement is how the tactics of the Trump White House were the opposite of what the experts called for. For decades, the experts did the same thing over and over. Every administration tried the same thing, and it always involved... I'm adding this is not in uh, in Ari Fleischer's tweet. Always involved deference to the Palestinians. Trump said, look, these are the people holding it up. They don't want a deal, so I'm going to go around them. And he did. And in addition to that, he brought in different powers in the Middle East, rather than a usual suspect. So he goes to United Arab Emirates, deal. Goes to Bahrain, deal. Lo and behold, we have two powerful Middle East regimes willing to sign a deal today, and they're going to sign it in moments of the White House, for a peace arrangement between the UAE and Bahrain and Israel. Trump and Kushner were mocked. They were laughed at all along the way, claiming they were novices and didn't know what they were doing. But as Ari Fleischer points out, they proved right. And I have to tell you, folks, when the Netanyahu's, Bibi Netanyahu and his wife, when they arrived at the White House today, what an image it was. And you know what was unique about it? What was different about it? This may be the first time in let's see, 2008, 12 years that the Prime Minister of Israel was permitted to enter the White House through the front door. That's right. Bibi Netanyahu and his wife were greeted by President Trump and the First Lady Melania at the front door. It was a it was a great photo, great photo op. Trump looking austere and presidential, uh, Melania looking beautiful, both looking like they belonged exactly where they were. Austere is not the right word. August. They looked confident. They looked like they were exactly where they were intended to be. And Netanyahu looked like he knew that he was exactly where he was supposed to be. Well, no, during the Obama years, Netanyahu wasn't permitted to go in the front door. Just like the Dalai Lama. You remember the Dalai Lama when they left the White House? They sent him out the back door with the garbage? You remember the photo? I do. We probably have the photo somewhere in our archives. It was the same way with Netanyahu. I remember the first time Netanyahu was um, in the White House during the Obama administration. Obama was rude to the guy, and it, it, it gave rise to many people. Well, this guy's got a problem with Israel, meaning Obama. And Netanyahu was brought in the back door, and he was taken to some room in the West Wing. And Obama said, now, you sit here, you sit here. I'm going to go have, I'm going to have dinner with my family and I'll be back. And you, you, you better think about what we're doing here, what you want, because I'll be back. You're not, I mean, the implication, you're not good enough for me to have dinner with. So you sit here with your group 
and you do whatever you do, and I will be back, and we better have something to talk about when I get back. I mean, the animus of the Obama administration had for Netanyahu. It was impossible to uh, to miss. In fact, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I was um, in the midst here of doing what I always do in the morning before the program starts, and that is preparing it. I was engaged here in show prep, deeply focused. It's amazing how tunnel-visioned I get when I get into the prep mode. Uh, and I, that's where I was. I've occasionally something will happen that will distract me, and I look up. And I looked up today at the TV, and I saw a little video clip of Biden socially distanced in that wheat field yesterday, droning on about global warming. And in the corner of the picture, the screen, the corner of the TV picture is a box, little box graphic that says peace accord signing at noon. And it just hit me. What small ball the Democrats are playing. Joe Biden sitting out on a wheat field with three or four reporters 12 feet distant from each other. In white circles, they're not allowed to get... By the way, there's a story about this today, about Biden and the reason he's conducting these events uh, the way he does and the reason why there's so few of them. The story is that he is literally paranoid and afraid of getting COVID-19. Which is something he's not alone in. There are lots of people, particularly in his demographic, who are very, very concerned about coming down with COVID-19. There's a whole story about how Biden is just deathly afraid of it and that it's dictating everything about the campaign. And it's now beginning to frustrate some of his staff who think he's not out there enough. and But then there's a dichotomy. You get him out there enough and he doesn't do well when he gets out there. Now you got Kamala Harris out there calling what's coming the Harris administration. You guys hear about this? Grab soundbite number one. Throw this in. This is uh, Saturday in Arizona during a Latino small business roundtable campaign event. Here is Kamala Harris. We will need to make sure you have a president in the White House who actually sees you, who understands your needs, who understands the dignity of your work, and who has your back. A Harris administration together with Joe Biden. And then she caught herself and called it the Biden-Harris administration a couple moments later. But that's, that's not a faux pas. Folks, we we know exactly what Biden is a placeholder here for this campaign. He's not he's not going to finish the first term if he is elected and inaugurated. I can't even I can't even fathom that reality, which we'll discuss in greater detail as the program unfolds today. But right here it is. But this this little bite here, that 17 second sound bite that comes from a. Soundbite that's it's a video, two minutes and 40 seconds in length, and she says nothing. It is posted on a Democrat YouTube site, and even her supporters, even Democrat voters in the comments section 
are frustrated that she's not saying anything. It's just a bunch of gobbledygook. And they're saying, you know, if you guys can't if you guys can't come together on a message, this isn't gonna cut it. She literally said nothing in two minutes and 40 seconds. It was just a bunch of words strung together that are designed to sound impressive, but they they added up to nothing other than the supposed faux pas, the uh, the Harris administra- administration together with Joe Biden. So we need to unpack that. She clearly believes or has been told that she's going to be president sooner rather than later if the Biden ticket wins. And I bet you she's also been told other things, like you may be president, but you're really not going to be. Whoever it is running and orchestrating the Biden campaign will continue to be president. You're just going to take over as the placeholder. But she may not. She probably has agreed to that now. But when it happens, if it happens, if she actually ever became president because Biden quits or whatever, she's not going to let these guys tell her what she can and can't. It's going to be uh, it, 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 it's it's not going to be pretty. Anyway, we'll get to that. That's that's way, way down the road. It just when I look at that screen, the TV screen, I'm watching this. And here's Biden out in the wheat field and and saying silly things and accusing Trump of silly things. And that box in the corner of the screen, peace accords signing at noon. It just it just really hit me. The Democrats and Biden are the little league. They're not even Babe Ruth League. They're little league. They're playing small ball. It's old. Their ideas are not new. They are exhausted. Their ideas can never work. Their ideas can never be fixed. They're bad ideas. They are ideas that don't work anywhere they have been tried. They sound good to the little guy because their ideas make it look like that they've got all this compassion and caring for the little guy. But I'm going to tell you what, these people ever win, the Democrat Party has undergone a major shift. And the Democrat Party is now the party of the rich. The Democrat Party is the party of elite rich, not just Wall Street. I'm talking the rich and the uber wealthy elites wherever they are. That is the backbone of the Democrat Party. The Republican Party, interesting, the the party of Trump has become the party of the little guy, the party of working class Americans, blue collar, if you will. The problem is the little guy doesn't believe that. The little guy has been told for 50 years the Republicans hate him. The Republicans don't care that all the compassion is held by the Democrats. That's what the Democrats don't care what COVID-19 is going to do to the culture. They don't care about the economy. They don't care about it because whatever happens, it isn't going to affect them and the backbone of their party, the uber wealthy. But, you know, folks, it's not just it's not just the Democrats. It's it's the entire Washington establishment that is old and predictable and tired and playing small ball. They think little. They think small. They repeat the same tired stuff over and over and over. Over here, however, you have Donald Trump who's thinking big. He's working big. He's planning big. 
He has massive sweeping solutions to so many things, not just for America, but for the for the world. Now, as we get closer to the election, I get more and more emails from people asking me if I remain confident. People start hearing the polling data and how it's looking bad. Now the stories are that Trump is out of money and canceling advertising buys. Russia, I have to explain it. It's not looking good out there. It's really bad, isn't it? Folks, I'm going to tell you, I actually believe, just to give you an example, remember my my, my um, often stated philosophy that it's silly to worry about polls three months away, five months away, six months away, or further out because those polls have never mattered in the past. People don't even remember without having to look them up what polls were six months away in 2016 or 2012 because they're irrelevant. They're used to shape opinion rather than reflect it. But accompanying that is my belief that the events shaping the election largely haven't happened yet. And I think that that's still true. Sitting here today, 49 or 50 days away, everybody thinks that whatever this election about is about is baked in, that it's already happened, and it hasn't yet. I'll give you two examples. What happens if there are no debates? What happens if Biden can't do it? What happens if they come up with a plan to renege on it? They're going to have to. He can't do it, folks. He simply can't. The sundowning effect of people with dementia is only one aspect or reason why. But let's then say, okay, the debates happen. And let's say he gets smoked in the debates and he can't handle 90-minute debates or longer. Those two things right there are examples of events that haven't happened yet, which are going to have tremendous impact on the election. That's just one subject, the debates, whether they happen and if they happen, how does plugs do? Anyway, let me take a brief break. We'll uh, we'll continue right after this. Hi, welcome back. Great to have you, Rush Limboy and the EIB Network, 800-282-2882. Get this. The Carolina Panthers have just fired their Spanish language broadcaster because he supports Donald Trump. Uh, so much for the NFL's support of anything that's not Black Lives Matter. Carolina Panthers pushed out one of its Spanish language broadcasters because of his personal support for President Trump. Luis. Moreno Jr., 42, had served with his uncle Jaime Moreno as the play-by-play radio announcer since 2010. The pair were known internationally for their energetic calls of exciting plays by Panthers players. Moreno Jr. emigrated from Mako at 14 years old and became an American citizen this past August after researching American politics online. He, quote, found out there are a lot of things that are happening that I wasn't aware of that make me support Trump. So he's out. Marino tweeted a post in support of Trump 
from his private Twitter page back in April. This prompted the guy who manages radio and television for the Panthers to contact him and request that he remove references to the Panthers from his account. At this time, Moreno was not under contract with the Panthers. As an independent contractor, he's not employed during part of the season. But he complied. He scrubbed the Twitter bio of Panthers content. He updated it to reflect his support of Trump. Listen, I'm not even under contract right now. I'm not willing to participate in this project anymore if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be censored. He said, I'm hurt because this has nothing to do with my performance on air. This has nothing to do with how good I am at what I do. I'm one of the best. I'll put myself against anybody in this country. It comes to what I do in Spanish. Wow. Okay, a, a brief break again. We'll be back. Hang on. Hi, how are you? Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh in the EIB Network, executing assigned host duties flawlessly. Zero mistakes. Media still talking about President Trump's visit to California and the, and the wildfires. And, of course, uh, Gavin Newsom was filled with praise for President Trump in the meeting that they had. Uh, just like Chris Christie was filled with praise for Barack Obama in 2012. You remember how the media highlighted Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey at the time, praising Obama to the hilt for the aid that he was offering after a natural disaster that had happened. Comparison here is that the media is telling nobody about the praiseworthiness of President Trump out of the mouth of Gavin Newsom. But it just it just reminded me, who was the first person to say that President Trump should go to Florida? Not not to move the needle, but to show the flag. Now, I'm not saying he's taking my advice, don't misunderstand. But he went. He went to California and he had substantive, serious meetings out there. And that, again, looked big time. It didn't look like small ball. And clearly, the people in California that he met with were happy to have him out there and to be able to talk about the wildfires and the damage that has been uh, done. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a great thing that Trump went to California just to remind everybody that he is the president of the entire country, even the crazy parts, that he does not ignore the parts that are steadfastly opposed to him. I thought it was a... Really, really smart move. Democrats worry Biden playing it too safe. Democrats are very worried. This is, uh, this is uh, so where's this from? This is from thehill.com. Democrats are growing worried about Democrat nominee Joe Biden and his play it safe strategy with 50 days to go before the election. They're specifically worried that as Trump's campaign reaches millions of voters through in-person door-knocking events and big rallies, the Biden campaign's relying on digital organizing and telephone outreach. On a field training call over the weekend, several veterans of the Obama and Hillary campaigns expressed concerns that ex-Obama aides also grumbled privately following the Saturday Zoom call. After the call, one former Obama aide said that if Biden loses a close election, analysts will look back on the field operations in the same way they look back on Hillary Clinton's decision to not visit Wisconsin in 2016. Folks, the 
there's there's a reason why Biden is doing this. He's scared to death of COVID-19. There is a humongously long story about this. It 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 took 15 minutes to mark this up. It would take me 30 minutes to go through the whole thing. The headline of the story and it's in the Politico. Keep back how the Biden campaign obsesses over COVID. The former vice president's team goes to extraordinary lengths to keep him safe. Joe Biden's chartered airplanes and SUVs are meticulously sprayed with disinfectant and scrub. The microphones, lecterns, and folders that he uses are wiped down in the moments before his arrival. News reporters covering the campaign have their temperature taken. People he meets are scanned in advance with thermometer wands, and guests at his events are cordoned off in precise locations, mapped out with a tape measure. And we've seen these. We've seen the photos of the press sitting 15 feet away from, or further than that, and separated from each other by, at, well, it's much more, than, uh, much more than six feet. So, now I imagine a lot of people would be sympathetic. Here's plugs in, what is he, 77 years old or something like that? And a lot of people would be sympathetic to the fact that he might be very, very worried about getting COVID-19. I myself have similar fears, folks, because of the uh, medical circumstances I'm in. My immune system is somewhat depressed, so I have to be real careful about it. But anybody who's serious about this has to be careful about it. But the difference is that I am not running for president. He is. So what I think is going on, I think the Biden people are using this as an excuse to hide the fact that he's not up for the job. I think they're using this and this is going to be one of the excuses for not debating. And in the process, the Biden people are instilling fear. They are hiding and they're hiding Biden. And they they are they're coming across here as as hysterical. And the you you wait. The 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 very fact that that this story has surfaced and it is a long story and it's in Politico. That it means that somebody wants this story out there. Now stop and think about that. Here is the Democrat presidential nominee. And his campaign wants it out there in prominent Democrat media that he is really worried about getting COVID-19. And therefore, it is the excuse. It's the explanation for why he doesn't leave the basement very much. And it's why that when he does leave the basement, he may as well not leave the basement because the way they structure these events, it makes no difference that he left the basement. They just get a backdrop that looks different. But the fact that they want this story out there, that there is a lot of fear. How the Biden campaign obsesses over COVID. The former vice president's team goes to extraordinary lengths to keep him safe. Uh, contrast this with Trump, which is what you have to do. Trump is the Republican president 
and thus the nominee, he's running for re-election, and his behavior is exactly opposite. And he's only six years, five years younger than Plugs is. But you wouldn't, I mean, he comes across as 30 years younger, both in energy level, in mental acuity, in looks. You can't stop Trump. There isn't hardly anybody keep up with him, energy-wise. A lot of us study Trump, well, when does the man sleep? And yet with Biden, it's the exact opposite. When does he wake up? Everything he says is on a teleprompter. You've got you've got Kamala Harris. By there's a great grab soundbite number one again. There's a there's a theory out there about this, and I'm gonna see if I can make sense of it. Play this soundbite where she refers to the Harris uh, administration again. We will need to make sure you have a president in the White House who actually sees you, who understands your needs, who understands the dignity of your work and who has your back. A Harris administration together with Joe Biden. Okay, now the theory is that this was not a faux pas, that it was written, that it was purposely put on her prompter. And the reason that it was is so that she could acknowledge to all Democrat voters that, hey, we know Biden ain't up for this. Don't sweat it. I'm going to be in charge. We know that Biden is a placeholder. I mean, the the fact that it was written on the prompter and the fact that it was stated by Kamala Harris and not a mistake and not her ego out of control, that the the bottom line is that they're actually sending the signal to Democrat voters not to sweat Biden's mental acuity, that everybody knows what's going on. And this very subtle reference to the Harris administration is designed to calm Democrat voters who are worried about the potential disaster that's waiting every day to display and be on parade with Biden's uh, deteriorating mental ability. Quick break. We'll come back, get started with phones right after this. Okay, let's get started on the uh, on the phones. Just 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 to confirm, they it was not a faux pas here from Kamala Harris. That was, by the way, Saturday. It was in Arizona um, during a small business roundtable campaign, where uh, where she said, uh, "We'll need to make sure you have a president in the White House who actually sees you, understands your needs, who understands the." Dignity of your work who has your back, a Harris administration together with Joe Biden. That was written. It's not a faux pas, not her ego out of control. And then a couple sentences later, she mentions uh, the Biden administration. So it's obviously, it was obviously a uh, message. And it was to let Democrat voters know that they know that Biden's the Trojan horse, that Biden is the placeholder, that not not to let that worry them. Feel free to vote for Biden because it's going to be the Harris administration. If Biden wins, if we win, it's going to be the Harris administration after not too long a time. So that's the message that they wanted to get out. Here's Vinny, Vinny in Wilmington, North Carolina. Great to have you, Vinny. Hi. Hey, Russ. Continued 
prayers for your recovery. God bless you. And Catherine, thank you so much for everything you do. Let me let me run this by you. Uh, I do not think, uh, nor have I ever thought, that Joe Biden could not debate. He has to. He has to debate. I think the question is, how is he going to do it? Now, to my knowledge, no, in modern-day presidency, no one has ever backed out of a debate. This is not going to happen with Biden. Why wouldn't he suggest, and it just coincides with that story we were just talking about how deathly afraid no. of COVID he is, how about a virtual debate? Don't you think they're, they're going to suggest something like that? And in that circumstance, Biden can cheat. He can rig up an earpiece like Hillary did in 2016 uh, during her debate um, and, um, or a teleprompter or something. Okay, Vinny, Vinny, hang on here. I, um, I, I'm told that others can understand you, but I can't understand a single word you're saying. And it's my hearing. It's, 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 not, it's not the phone connection. Are, did you just say, I'm following you here on a, on a transcript of what you're saying. Did you just say that they're going to let Biden use an earpiece? And that they're going to allow him to be told what the answers to various questions are? Is that what you think they're going to do? Well, no, no. What I'm saying is Biden cannot back out of the debate. Okay? He has to debate. I think the question is, how is he going to do it? And it's my feeling that they're going to try and pull some kind of, some kind of uh, stunt where they do a virtual debate. And if they do a virtual debate, then Biden could very well easily cheat. Okay, so by virtual debate, you mean that Biden debates from the basement in Wilmington. That's correct. And so if he's debating from the basement, then there's any number of ways he can cheat, such as having a visible earpiece where his handlers are told him what to say, and he's even got a prompter there that nobody will know is there. And now for, for that, to have, you, the, you think the Trump people would not suspect something like that would be part of an arrangement in a virtual debate? Uh, I'm sure they would suspect it. Of course they would. But now if Trump says, no, we're not going to debate under those circumstances, now he takes a risk of the Biden campaign saying, hey, we offer to debate in these extraordinary circumstances. I mean, we do have a pandemic going around. And the president doesn't want to debate. So that's the risk the Trump campaign would now run if they said, no, we don't want to do a virtual debate. We want an in-person debate. Okay, so I'm thinking that's what's going to happen. Right, well, let's, let's, let's look at this. All right, so the, uh, the Biden campaign, your theory, the Biden campaign knows they can't back out. They got to do it. They can't back out. But because Biden is so afraid of getting COVID-19, which people will supposedly fully understand and be sympathetic to, that Biden will suggest, his team will suggest a virtual debate where Trump will apparently go to where the debate was supposed to be, and Biden will not have to go. Biden will be able to stay home in the basement either in Wilmington or wherever else uh, he has a home. The Bidens are loaded, by the way, because of the kid. Do not believe that this Biden is some pauper guy never made more than his Washington salary. These people are loaded. They got basements all over the country. Anyway, including in China. But I digress. So somehow Biden is going to be permitted 
to debate from the basement somewhere while Trump has to show up somewhere and do it and be live. Well, no, you could say, no, Trump will be able to do it virtually. Trump could do it from, let's say, the Oval Office. He could do it from the White House, wherever he wants. And we'll do it on Zoom. And both candidates will be on Zoom. And your theory is that if Trump says no to this arrangement, the Biden people come up and say, look, our guy is not going to risk COVID-19. Our guy is not going to risk any of this. And we're not going to allow a crowd in there anyway, so why do we need a live debate? Plugs will do this from his basement. Trump can do it from wherever he wants to do it. And if Trump refuses those terms, then it is Trump who is guilty of canceling and reneging on the debates, not Biden. So then the question becomes, how does that play with the American voter? And does the American voter actually blame Trump? Is Biden a sympathetic enough figure? Hey, I'd love to debate, but you know, I really don't want to get sick. I can't afford to get whatever whatever excuse they offer. And and offer to do the debates, but virtual, on Zoom. And Trump says, no, the hell with that. Is Biden a sympathetic enough figure where he will get a lot of credit? A lot of credit. He's willing to debate. He's just asking for a tiny adjustment. Let's do it on Zoom. Let's do it virtually. Here's this mean old Trump refusing to be nice to the old guy, refusing to be cooperative. Um, Vinny, it's a fascinating theory. And I got to roll this around a little bit more to figure out how I actually react to it, what I think of it. But I got to do it later because I'm up against it on time. We'll be back. Stay with us, folks. Don't go anywhere. Never mind, not going to do it, because I got two number 21s here, and I'm not sure, so we'll get that straightened out. Um, so there's there's a a uh, a workable, not theory, but a workable idea on how Biden could get out of uh, actually doing the debates or structure them in such a way that he could do them virtually and thus increase his chances of cheating during said debates. Uh, so we will we'll, uh, examine this further as the program continues, which will be momentarily. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. He served our nation for over seven years before he was severely injured during training. He was paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Tunnel to Towers paid Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, removing a financial burden for him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his specific needs. Tunnel to Towers helped severely injured service members and first responders, as well as Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders. It's already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. The foundation is also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? 
You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. And we're back. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB network, meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. I just had a a new opinion audit in from the Sullivan Group, and it remains that I am documented to be almost always right 99.8% of the time. All right, so the signing ceremony is about to begin. The whole ceremony has begun at the White House, Donald Trump and the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. This is truly historic, and it is, I don't think, going to get anywhere near the proper weight and coverage that this event deserves. My whole life, this has been a major political initiative that every new president tackles. Every new, my entire life, every new president, every new term has made Middle East peace an objective. Now, over the course of my life, the politics of Middle East peace has uh, changed. I remember during the Clinton years, uh, The American Jewish community back in the 90s was a far different arrangement than it is today. Uh, They were very much pro-Israel and very, very – you you had to be pro-Israel if you were going to get their support. And the Democrat Party was all in on Israel, Bill Clinton especially. And it, it was it was a way to raise money from the American Jewish community. It was a way to um, 
maintain support of the uh, uh, Jewish organizations uh, in Washington. And then as time evolved, uh, liberal American Jewish people suddenly became less enamored of Israel as Netanyahu and other right-wing leaders became prominent. And it was a fascinating thing to watch as American Jewish leaders and prominent Democrats began to not support Israel, began to blame Israel for the problems in the Middle East. And they became advocates of the Palestinians. And the Palestinians became the Middle East equivalent of American minorities. They were unfairly treated. They had a lifetime, multiple lifetimes of disrespect shown them. And the Palestinians became uh, no different than, uh, than, than blacks in South Africa and apartheid. It was a fascinating thing to watch. And the Democrat Party began to have shifting allegiances toward Israel. And then we got Obama, and there was outright disgust for Israel for the eight years of the Obama, to the point that Obama's making nuclear deals with Iran, to the point that the Obama administration was attempting to elevate Iran into the dominant power in the Middle East, despite the fact that Iran is not a U.S. ally. Israel is our ally in the Middle East, and the Saudis are, are also in the ally column. But it was, it was fascinating to watch. Then you go back to the Clinton 90s, and here is Clinton offering Yasser Arafat of the PLO virtually everything he wants because presidents wanted this deal. This was going to get them eternal life in history books. Every president, I can start with JFK, and every president going forward salivated over the ultimate peace deal in the Middle East involving Arab nations and Israel. And they, they all thought that if they could be the ones that made this happen, that they would get eternal praise, eternal life in world history books. And they all engaged in massive efforts, some of them with silly, stupid proposals like Clinton offering the PLO everything they were demanding, which was not good for Israel. Here's Bill Clinton essentially selling Israel out. And the Israelis have no choice but to go along with it because we are our primary ally. And so every George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, uh, Barack Obama is the only president who didn't care about Middle East peace from the Israeli perspective. But Reagan, Jimmy Carter... Oh, I mean, I, I think about all of these presidents and their attempts to come up with the ultimate peace in the ultimate part of the world where there is ultimate strife, the Middle East. And who does it? Donald Trump. Donald Trump, Mr. Bull in a China shop, Mr. Stupid, Mr. Dumkoff, Mr. Outsider, Mr. Illegitimate, Mr. He stole the election working with the Russians, has come along 
and achieved something every American president since the 1950s has been attempting to achieve. And how did he do it? He did it by going at it an entirely different way. He did it by leaving the Palestinians out of the process. This would be like trying to establish civil rights relations while ignoring Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. And this is exactly what Trump did. And lo and behold, it worked. We now have peace in the Middle East, and it's just beginning. United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, you watch the Saudis are going to be signatories to this deal before long. Other Arab nations in the Middle East are, are going to come along with this. Uh, Jordan, I expect, will sign on to this at some point. King Abdullah there. And it's happening because the Palestinians have been, for the moment, left out of the deal. The Palestinians were always the roadblock. The Palestinians were always the reason there was never going to be a deal. No Arab nation wanted the Palestinians in their country. So we had to have a state. Palestinians, and we had to have two-state solution. We had to have the Israelis, and they had to have the Jewish state. We had to have the Palestinians, and they had to have a state. And the Palestinians wanted their state to be where Israel is. Well, there was no way that was ever going to happen short of a war. And so this is how the Palestinians, and I'm really giving you the Cliff Notes version here. This is how the Palestinians were able to thwart and forestall Middle East peace because their demands were not amenable. Couldn't meet their demands and maintain an allied relationship with Israel. So Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, come in and they look at this and they decide to go about it a whole different way. And leaving the Palestinians out is no mean feat. The Palestinians were a crutch that Arab nations in the region loved to rely on. I'm not kidding, folks. This would be like coming up with massive civil rights legislation in the United States without involving the uh, Reverend Jackson or Al Sharpton or, or Black Lives Matter or whoever. Palestinians are livid. They don't understand how this happened. Nobody understands how it happened because nobody's taken the time to actually, with respect, examine how Donald Trump and Kushner have gone about this. Now, we have a couple of sound bites. Here is President Trump uh, while meeting with the, uh, the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, United Arab Emirates, just moments ago. We'll see the Palestinians at some point, but before we see the Palestinians, we'll see other very important countries come into this transaction. They'd be here today, frankly, if we wanted them. So uh, I think that uh, you'll see some very great things happening in the Middle East. You're going to have peace without blood in the sand. For years, you had blood in the sand. That's all you had, blood in the sand. You got nothing for it. They got nothing for it. Now you're going to have peace, and it'll be a real peace. You're going to have peace, going to be real peace, and we'll get the Palestinians involved at some point. But before we see the Palestinians, we're going to see other very important countries come into the transaction. What does that mean? 
That means we are going to surround the Palestinians. We're going to get every Arab country in that region, many of them as we can, to sign on to this deal, leaving the Palestinians nowhere to go and leaving the Palestinians no allies. Now, don't feel sorry for the Palestinians, despite your tendency to want to, because they have been treated, they have been portrayed as no different than your average American minority, which has been put upon, unfairly treated, discriminated against, you know the drill. And it's not true, it isn't accurate, particularly about the Palestinians. Trump has just realized that that if, if you involve them at the beginning of the process, you're never going to get any deal, peace or otherwise, because it's not in their interests. And they've got to be fit to be tied. So he's going to bring them in a little later after they are uh, effectively surrounded. Here is another part of the ceremony today. This is President Trump presenting the Prime Minister of Israel with the key to the White House. This was a special token of affection given by myself and the First Lady to uh, Prime Minister and the First Lady of Israel. And it's a uh, key, call it a key to the White House, and it's a key to our country and to our hearts. And you've been uh, an amazing leader for a long period of time. Now, I don't want to sound Pollyannish about this. But many of you who have listened to this program for um, its entirety for 30 plus years have no doubt heard me say that I didn't expect there to ever be peace in the Middle East until one side loses. Meaning I didn't think there would ever be a negotiated peace. I I just didn't think it was possible. I thought that peace was not going to be brought about with words, doctors, nurses, clean water, all these ephemeral things. I thought that peace would occur, as it always does, after one side loses, meaning after a war. I thought that was the only... because. I've been following it for 50 years, and no matter who has tried, no matter how hard they worked, no matter how much they desired it, nothing ever happened. And I said, it's not possible the way they're going about this. They're not going to get people to agree to give up what's necessary. People are going to have to have it taken from them. They're going to have to lose it in a war. That's how peace has always been achieved. Now, some of you may not like hearing that, but it's the way of the world. Peace always results after one side surrenders. Look at our peace with uh, Europe, peace with uh, with Germany, peace with Japanese. After World War II, they were defeated. They surrendered. That's when peace broke out. And I thought the same thing would be required in the Middle East, which I thought would never happen. I think there would be a war. So I thought this was something that was going to go on and on and on for another 3,000 years. And it was just going to be something that every American administration worked toward, tried to achieve, was applauded valiantly for their efforts and so forth. But this has been, this has been something that Trump has seen to from day one, from the moment he talked about moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, this deal was put in motion. This is something that apparently nobody on our side had a clue how to solve. 
Not a clue. This has been so long in coming, it just seemed impossible. And yet, here in less than four years, Donald Trump has fixed a massive world problem. It's, it's, it's literally stunning. And it will not be properly reported. It will not be given its, uh, its due respect by the media and uh, by the Washington establishment. But I'll tell you, it's going to be just the opposite because what this has done, what this deal has done is again demonstrated why we don't need the current ambassadorial core. We don't, the current State Department, whatever, all of these people have been involved in this. Look at who came in and fixed this. Kind of like the Never Trumpers. The Never Trumpers are watching everything they have devoted their lives to, policy-wise, be implemented. And they're livid. They are mad as hell. And they hate the guy doing it. So how much could they have really meant what they said they believed in? I mean, one conservative policy after another has been implemented by Donald Trump. And the never-Trumper conservative intellectuals are out there trying to undermine him. Despite the fact he's implementing everything they've devoted their lives to. Therein lies the reason. He is the one doing it. He is showing that they're not necessary. He is showing you don't have to donate to them anymore. He is showing you don't have to support their magazines. You don't have to go on their cruises. You don't have to do anything. They are not the intellectual firepower that is keeping conservatism or conservative policy alive. And they know it. And it is rendering them so mad they can't see straight. And the same thing is going to happen with lifelong inside the Beltway diplomat experts who believed only they could achieve lasting peace in the Middle East. Certainly this rough-around-the-edges buffoon orange guy. No way. And yet he's come along and done it. And he's done it in a way they never even conceived of trying it. Quick time out. We'll be back and continue after this. I tell you what, folks, peace is breaking out all over the place, except in Democrat-run cities. Peace is breaking out in the Middle East. Peace is breaking out in Afghanistan. Peace is breaking out against ISIS. But peace is not breaking out in California, not breaking out in Portland, not breaking out in Seattle, not breaking out in Minneapolis. It's not breaking out in New York or Chicago, but it's breaking out everywhere there are not Democrats. Do you see where the sheriff, the Los Angeles County sheriff, whose name is Alex Vinueva, has challenged LeBron James to match the reward money for the gunman who shot the two deputies? The story of these deputies, this is amazing, by the way. These two deputies that were shot at point blank range by this lone gunman. It is stunning what these two went through, particularly the um, the female deputy whose name was Claudia Epodinar. She survived the ambush. She saved the life of her partner. She's 31 years old, a former librarian 
who just graduated the Sheriff's Academy last year. She was struck in the jaw during Saturday's shooting. She was in stable condition in the hospital. Uh, they were both shot at close range, sitting inside their patrol car. She made a tourniquet for her 24-year-old partner before medics arrived. She was able to get both of them out of the car and shielded behind the open car doors after being shot in the face a couple of times. She had the presence of mind and still conscious to be able to apply a tourniquet to save the life of her partner and herself. It is a stunning story, a stunning display of courage. And there's video. The video shows how the deputies helped each other despite being shot in the head, in the face, and in extremities. In fact, the female deputy probably saved the male deputy's life by applying a tourniquet to his arm, despite herself having been shot in the jaw. She made a radio call for more help, despite being shot in the jaw. Not one, and there were bystanders, not one of the people watching any of this helped. Not one of the people who watched any of this even called 911. You know why? They were too busy cheering the thugs, or thug, who shot the officers. We had audio of one such bystander yesterday, and it's just infuriating to listen to this guy go on and, oh, man, oh, man, N-word been lit up. Oh, wow, how cool, man, they've been aired out right on. N-word cop been aired out. Guy was ecstatic and happy over what had happened. Sick. We will be right back. Okay, let's get back to the phones. If I don't get to the phones now, I may never, with everything the way it's popping today. We'll start uh, this half hour in Milwaukee. This is Chris. Welcome, sir. Great to have you here. Oh Well, hi, Rush, and uh, best wishes to you. Uh, thank you, sir, very much. Not only did Trump broker this deal in the Middle East, which every other president... Uh, had attempted to do. He did it after moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, which every other president had disingenuously promised to do. I just think that makes this even a a, a more special achievement. I think it speaks volumes of Trump's ability. and, And most importantly, I think it draws a contrast to the rest of the people in government, elected or otherwise, including the Republicans, as to just how pathetically inefficient and inept they are. Well, the uh, the moving of the embassy, you know, Trump did say that he was going to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Every other president, you're right, has made the same claim, pledge, promise, what have you. Trump then did it. Uh, he's the first president to even provide anything more than lip service. Uh, Past presidents have never even begun the process of moving it. They just claimed that they would do it during campaigns. But after they were elected, zip, zero, nada. Trump followed through on it, and he followed through on it in a fiscally responsible way to boot. And that was the first sign 
that something other than the norm was going on here. Something nobody thought would ever really happen. It was enough to just say that you wanted to move the embassy to Jerusalem, but don't actually do it. Don't actually do it. Because the re- you might say, well, why? But look at the Palestinians think Jerusalem's theirs too. So you don't let the Israelis have Jerusalem as the site of the American embassy, because the Palestinians think it's theirs. That's what the that's what one of the battles is about. So Trump signaled early to anybody that wanted to pay attention that the Palestinians' concerns, demands, what have you, within the context of Middle East peace, were going to be set aside. They were not going to be considered front and center, as they always as they always had been. Now, Trump has done a number of things here that, that previous administrations, State Departments, uh, Washington establishment types, have wanted credit for trying to do. They've wanted credit for wanting to do these things. But they never actually did it. Oh, they had massive deals. They negotiated massive peace deals, and they put on great shows with the Palestinians and the PLO coming to Washington for gigantic meetings at Camp David, the Oval Office, um, various other locations in Washington. But it was always really for show purposes. And Trump, uh, yeah, he's a showman. He does things for show purposes. But Trump's objective really is to accomplish things. Trump's objective is to get things done. That's what solving problems is. That's why watching these riots in Portland and Seattle is so frustrating. Is when he says we can stop these in a matter of minutes, he's telling the truth. If these mayors and if these governors would simply give him the go signal, they could have shut this stuff down They could have saved all of this private property. They could have saved all of the damage. They could have prevented much of it by sending in forces that would have cracked heads, knocked heads, and stopped this. But the Democrat mayors and the Democrat governors didn't want it stopped and don't want it stopped even now. Andy in Baltimore, you're next. Great to have you with us, sir. Hello. Mr. Limbaugh, mega prayers, mega dittos, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, My question is, if... President Trump gets reelected uh, here soon. Uh, what kind of frivolous litigation or what kind of uh, ridiculous uh, accusations do you think will come from the losing side? And how do you think the um, riots and ridiculousness that's going on in this country will even intensify worse than it is now? Well, the Democrats are promising that the riots will continue and intensify. The Democrats are promising that the violence will ratchet up. The Democrats, in fact, this is one of the things that the Democrats are using to try to win the election. They're actually extorting voters. The Democrats are saying, if you want this, if you want this stuff to continue, elect Trump. If you elect Trump, this stuff's going to continue and it's going to keep getting worse. If you want us to stop, then don't elect Trump. Hmm. They're actually making a play out of this. And... Ask yourself, why would they stop? If they lose this election, you got to stop and, and examine their psychology. They have been convinced for four years that Trump did not win in 2016. Now, I don't care what they actually really know. 
after four years of investing in this abject lie that Trump stole it, that he cheated, that he colluded with the Russians, some of them have actually begun now to believe that. In the process, many of them believe they actually won in 2016 and that Trump shouldn't be there at all. And they believe as such that most Americans agree with them now. And they really believe Trump is going to lose. They think Biden's going to win and win big. If that doesn't happen, folks, I, I shudder to think what we are headed for. But it's worse if they do win. It's unthinkable, them winning. It literally is unthinkable. If the, if the Democrats win, if Biden wins this election, Kamala Harris or whoever that they put up there, that's the end of democracy. It's the end of the two-party system. We are going to have a one-party government that is going to devote itself to eliminating all opposition. That's what's at stake. If they win, I think the Republican Party essentially ceases to exist. One of the first things they will do is grant statehood to D.C. and Puerto Rico, and that'll give them four Democrat senators. They will never lose control of the Senate. They will never lose control of the House. They will pack the Supreme Court with who knows how many new justices, and they'll all be left-leaning justices. And it won't take them long to do any of this. And after they've done it, there will be a one-party state. The United States will be a one-party government. It'll be just like California is now. It'll be just like New York is now. In California, the Republican Party doesn't exist. Well, it exists, but they never win anything. In New York, the same thing. Now, you can see what's happened in New York and California. They are the blueprints and the forerunners for what will happen nationwide if the Democrats win in November. Mark my words. Everybody thought that the election in 2016 was the election of a lifetime. This one is, too. Maybe even bigger. The Democrat Party has become full-fledged Marxist radical left. They do not believe in opposition. They don't believe in debate. They don't believe they should have to win minds and hearts. They don't believe they should have to persuade anybody. They don't believe that there is legitimate opposition. So they're not going to have debates. They're not going to have uh, any circumstance where they could lose politically. They believe in a one-party dominating government. And it's what they're going to set up as quickly as they can. And there will be punishment for people who oppose them, try to stop them. This is what, for me, is so frustrating about all the never-Trumpers and so many so-called conservatives, why they don't see this as the immediate future of this country if the Democrats would forget Trump. 
Forget Trump. This is not really a bit. Trump is the he's the only guy that can prevent this from happening. There isn't another Republican on the ballot that can stop these people. Donald Trump is the guy. He's the only guy with the gonads, is the only guy with the desire, is the only guy with the with the with the know-how, and he's the only guy with the spirit to stand up and oppose them. He's the only guy not afraid of them. But this is what we're facing. This is this is the immediate future. It's within 50 days. That's why the Democrats can see this. They are salivating. If they lose this election, you ask, will there be, uh, will, they, will they sue and go to court? Oh, they'll do that. But they're going to engage in violence like you haven't seen yet. They're going to make everybody pay. It's, it's, it's going to be a really, really precarious set of circumstances that we are all going to face. Look, I got to take a brief break here. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm telling you this is what we're up against. You can forget about the Democrat Party as a party that has to win its way into power and has to keep proving itself. Once they get it, folks, it's they're, they're never going to take the chance of losing it again. Anyway, I got to take a break. We'll be back and continue right after this. Talent on lawn from God. It is Rush Limbaugh, your guiding light, and we're going to stick with the phone. Cerritos, California next. This is Kim. Welcome. Hi, Russ. Mega dittos. I just have a quick question. You're telling us not to worry because there's 50 days out till the election, but what about all these people that are voting early before we hear the debates for any before any of this stuff happens? All wait, these people wait, wait, that are wait, making wait, their decision wait, early. Uh, when did I say there's nothing to worry about? Well, I mean, well, that's the impression that I got. Like, you know, we still got fifty no, days. What? A lot can happen. You know, uh, that's the impression I got. What I said was that. I have a philosophy, I have a belief when I'm talking, when people want to worry about polls six months out. I say the events that are going to shape this election haven't even happened yet. These polls are meaningless. And I said, even now, 50 days out, there are things that are still going to happen that will impact the election. Now, you're you're saying, Rush, none of it's going to matter because so many people are early voting and mail-in voting that whatever happens, it's too late. Yes. Okay, so uh, what is your solution to it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the problem. I mean, with this early voting stuff, I mean, people before couldn't cast their vote. I mean, you had the absentee ballots, yes, but people couldn't ca- cast their vote so early, you know, before. And then the elections are seem to be so late. I mean, the debates seem to be so late this year and... I mean, it just—it just doesn't. It just seems like Why, people can't be. Okay, there, there's, there's obviously you have you have uh, a belief, or you're operating on the assumption that every early voter is anti-Trump, and therefore that cannot be competed against. 
Okay. Well, is yeah, that what I you think? I am thinking that way because it just seems like the left is pushing early voting so much. Right. It doesn't seem like the right is pushing early voting. It seems like the left is pushing early voting, therefore, because they want to get all of their votes in so none of the left can change their mind. Just where have you heard where, where have you heard that it's only the left pushing early voting and therefore that Republicans don't engage in it? On the, you know, on Fox News and stuff, it just seems like a a lot of people, I mean, a lot of, uh, it's just, it seems like the left wants to, you know, everybody to vote early, not the right. I don't hear a lot of people on the right saying, hurry up and, and, you know, do your mail-in votes. And it seems like it's the left that are doing that. Okay, so, look, I'm, uh, so people on the right do not have the brains to vote early unless somebody tells them to and when you don't hear anybody telling them to then they're 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 being outnumbered they're not voting early but they're still going to vote they're just not voting early voting early does not change anything it just changed the date which people are voting um i don't agree with it like you don't i think early voting is a is a is a mechanism whereby fraud can can take place but even with early voting in place, Trump won in 2016. Even with mail-in ballots in some of these elections that have gone on, Republicans have won. In special elections, Republicans have won. It's not like early voting guarantees Democrat wins. Well, that's just the way it seems. It seems like the Democrats are like, Get your vote in, get your vote, you know, like before anybody changes their mind that they might just happen to vote for Trump. Like they just want to get that vote in to, you know, before the debates and everything. I I think the reason that you're hearing that is because the Democrats know that despite the propaganda that they are using the mainstream media to spread, They know full well that the enthusiasm on their side is not what they are leading you to believe. They know that the the Trump voter today remains the most enthusiastic voter in the United States of America. It isn't even close. How many Joe Biden yard signs do you see? Zilch. Zero. Nada. There aren't any Biden yard signs. There aren't any Kamala Harris yard signs. There isn't any enthusiasm for those two. The only people are going to vote for him is because there's a D next to their name. The Donald Trump voter. And he has 92%, 93% support the Republican Party. Is the most enthusiastic voter in this country. And it's not even close. You uh, may have heard yesterday that Joe Biden is uh, heading to Florida today. The reason that he's heading to Florida is that Trump all of a sudden is picking up the Hispanic vote in his state in droves. Biden is bleeding Hispanic support in Florida like you can't believe. It's an emergency visit. And I have to tell you, he's going to Tampa and there is a crowd of supporters waiting for Joe Biden. Something he's not seen before. The problem for Joe Biden is that this crowd of supporters are all Trump supporters waiting to greet Joe Biden.
Since 9-11, the Tunnel to the Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. He sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber, the complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, and he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave Major Turnbull a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's severely injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors so you pay only what you owe you can even have health lock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills to date health lock has helped its members save over 130 million dollars bottom line insurance alone isn't enough to save visit healthlock.com do it today before you see another health care provider that's healthlock.com yeah, 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 right here. Just uh, just catching up on some things. Greetings and welcome back, my friends. Happy to have you here in the Excellence in Broadcasting Network, the Rush Limbaugh program. The fastest three hours in media. We're down to one hour remaining. So our last caller. Well, this is, uh, I, I, I didn't mean to be, if I sounded short, with the caller, I didn't. I didn't mean to be, uh, but I. I didn't tell anybody not to worry. I never said don't worry. There's 50 days left. Uh, 
But I have to. There's nothing we can do about early voting, folks. So it's 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 part of the landscape. And I I learned long ago that it's a waste of time to fret over things you can't control. And by the way, there are still some elements of control over it. Not everybody <clears throat> that votes early votes on the same day. Just because early voting, let's say, opens today doesn't mean that everybody's going to vote early, does it, on the same day. There's still an opportunity uh, to reach people. There's still an opportunity to reach uh, hearts and minds. I wish there wasn't early voting. But at the same time, I really, I, I think it's a mistake to assume that all of these things that go against what we consider the norm. Like, I, I would like it just everybody shows up on Election Day and votes. Except the people that literally can't, let them have absentee ballots. But mail-in voting and all, clearly the, the Democrats are setting up mechanisms whereby um, they can give themselves advantages. Another word for engage in fraud or, or, or cheat. Now, Donald Trump today tweeted... The following, he said, you see where Joe Biden, as weak, tired and sleepy as he is, went to a polling place today in Delaware to vote. If Biden can do it, any American can do it, meaning he didn't mail it in. He went to a polling place to vote early. If you can, if Biden can do it, anybody can. But I told the the lady on the phone that the most enthusiastic voter in this country is the Donald Trump voter. I don't know if you've thought of it that way. But obviously, everybody is a, is, a, is a victim of the way the media reports things. And you can't be blamed if you believe Trump is headed for a landslide defeat. Media has been saying this for four years. They've been intensely focused on it in the last few weeks. And no matter where you look, Trump has no prayer. He's got no chance. He is not going to maintain anywhere near the support in the battleground states. He's losing on the fundraising side. He doesn't have a prayer. Biden's flush with money. Trump is not. Trump is canceling advertising buys here and there. It's down to two differences, down to Pennsylvania, Florida. If Trump doesn't hold one of those, it's all over. I can't I can't blame you if, you, if you're going to subject yourself to this. And if you're going to hear it, I, I know it's it's going to have a negative impact on you. I wish I could tell you it doesn't affect me, folks. I, 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 I don't know why. I just ignore it. I don't pay any attention to it because I know that it's all manufactured. It's 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 it's. Worse than bias. It's fake. The polling news is fake. Virtually everything they've written about Trump in four years hasn't been true. But I know the power of the media. And the power of the media is that if you read it, whether it's printed on a piece of paper or you read it on a computer screen, must be true. If you see it on TV, why, it must be true. And I, however I do it, however I've got, I just ignore it. And I try to substitute my, my own 
thinking or common sense for some of these things. Now, the the thing about the Trump voter being the most enthusiastic voter in the country, there isn't any doubt about this. You shouldn't have any doubt about that at all. I mean, there's not a it's it's not even close. The Democrats cannot do what Donald Trump does. They can't do a rally featuring their issues, featuring their their politicians, their candidates, their stars. Nobody is going to show up. They don't have Biden isn't a star. Biden doesn't have a bond with the people that are going to vote for him. Neither did Hillary Clinton, despite what everybody thinks. Donald Trump does. The question is, how does Trump expand the number of Trump voters? But you look at the Republican Party and its uh, loyalty polls at 92, 93 percent, if not more, of Republican voters support Trump. That's that's unprecedented. That's unheard of before. And these Trump voters are just like you. They are fed up. They are sick and tired of being lied to every day by the media. They're sick and tired of being manipulated. They're sick and tired of being told their candidate sucks. They're sick and tired of their candidate being lied about. They are sick and tired of everything made up about Donald Trump. They are sick and tired of being lied about themselves. They've had it. They can't wait to vote for Trump. Many of them are going to do so quietly and anonymously because they're also very much aware that they could be targeted for physical violence if they are discovered and found out. But that does not mean they are not going to vote. That doesn't mean they are not going to do whatever they can. And many of them don't care. Many of them do show up in public. Many of them are willing to be identified. Many of them are willing to have the world know who they support. In a side-by-side comparison, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, two pictures. There is no comparison. One looks presidential and one doesn't. And the one who doesn't look presidential, it's not even close. Now we hear people say, well, Trump doesn't come off as presidential. He doesn't act. I disagree with this. I think the pictures today of Trump at the White House and the signing ceremony with Netanyahu uh, and the leaders of the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. I mean, these pictures are unmistakably pictures of powerful, competent leaders, including Donald Trump, doing what they do. They are pictures of these people exuding confidence, exuding assurance, and exuding power. I don't think there's any, I don't think there is any mistaking it. And I do not believe, folks, and I know many of you are going to argue with me about this if you could, I simply don't believe after four years of not a single allegation about Donald Trump being true from cheating and stealing it with Russia to whatever else that you can think of. I just refuse to believe that CNN 
or the New York Times has the power to defeat Donald Trump. I just refuse to believe it. CNN doesn't have a big enough audience, number one. CNN doesn't have a track record. They have failed for four years in taking Trump out. Ditto the New York Times. Ditto MSNBC. There isn't a single left-wing media outlet who can claim that they have succeeded in their objectives to destroy, to get rid of, to frog march out of the White House Donald Trump. They cannot lay claim to success in seeing to it that he's going to lose the election. I still have people, but Rush, the Woodward book, the Woodward book is done. It was a 30-minute story. It's over. Woodward was on 60 Minutes Sunday night. Nobody's talking about it. Donald Trump got Woodward off the front page by going to California, by continuing to talk about things that matter to people, such as the economy. You think that doesn't matter? You think the American people are worried about Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein? You think the American people are worried about what CNN is saying? They are not, folks. The days of massive amounts of influence by these left-wing media outlets are over. Here, this is a story in the Washington Times. Economy keeps president competitive in swing states. All of the polls, every poll out there, says it is the economy and the economy alone that's keeping Trump even with Biden in the swing states. And by the way, that is why the Democrats and their media colleagues are so hell-bent on keeping the economy locked down for as long as they can. They know it as well as you and I know it. And that's why they are doing everything they can to keep the economies in their states essentially flatlined. The economy, which remains the top issue for most voters in the country, keeps Trump competitive in swing states like... Pennsylvania, where real clear politics average of recent polls has him trailing Biden by 4.3 percentage points. A recent NBC News Marist poll of likely voters in Pennsylvania gave Biden one of his largest leads at nine points, but it underscored Trump's dominance on the economy question. The voters preferred Trump's stewardship of the economy by 10 points. 51 to 41 percent, while favoring Biden by double digits on handling the pandemic and race relations. Let me tell you what they're going to be voting on. Trump gains on Biden in Florida, making battleground state a dead heat. And by the way, I don't believe it's a dead heat. I think Trump is leading in these states in the real world. But you can't say that because the polls don't say it. As a new Florida Atlantic University poll shows undecided voters are breaking for Trump by a margin of four to one. Undecided voters breaking for Trump. Also, important note on issues, 37% said the economy, 17% said coronavirus, 14% said health care, the primary issues important to them. Racism and equality ranked fourth at 10% just ahead of foreign policy. If the economy is truly the most important issue in Florida, then Trump is going to win Florida. And I believe the economy is. 
I don't think there's any question that the economy is going to be a primary uh, issue. It, it 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 always is, and Trump is is in a very fortunate position to be able to have some say over how well the economy uh, does and and is doing. I also had. Oh, I must have I must have stuck this at the bottom of the stack, which I before I was through with something. Anyway, yeah, I did. I hang up and find it during the. Oh wait, I might have just found it. I just found it. Uh, yeah, here we go. Um, which candidate do you do you think understands the plight of American workers? Right. So what I think has happened during all this, I think the Democrat Party has become the party of rich elites. I don't think the Democrat Party is the party of the little guy anymore. By design, I think the Democrat Party has actively become the party of rich elites. That's who they want to hang around. That's who they want their friends and buddies to be. If you listen to Donald Trump campaign, if you listen to him talk about the people that make the country work, it is clear that Donald Trump, President Trump, cares about the little guy, cares about the people who make the country work. Which candidate do you think most supports law enforcement and the rule of law, Biden or Trump? It's not even close. Which candidate is best set to bring America's economy back to pre-COVID status? I'll guarantee to you it isn't Joe Biden with his promised tax increases. There is no way that the Democrat Party can ever bring this economy to where Trump had it prior to COVID-19. They don't even want to. If you go back and look at Obama, he was happy to be able to tell the American people we're in a new era of decline and we Democrats are the ones to manage this for you. You need to lower your economic expectations. America is not the superpower that you've thought. We are not deserving of this great economy. We have got our problems. We are not fair. We are racist. We're bigoted. We have to pay a price for all of these superpower status things we've achieved on the backs of the minorities in this country. It was perfectly fine and happy to have an economy that at best might grow at 1%. Because they, the Democrat Party, wanted to be thought of as the reason anybody had anything. Which candidate understands the plight of American workers? There's, I don't think there's any question about that. Is Donald Trump. He's got a four-year track record of demonstrating it. I also think polling is a very tough thing to do these days. All these restrictions because of COVID-19 have forced a lot of polling units to abandon live polling. Since they can't have call centers, they've resorted to online polling, which is less accurate. It skews younger. But when it comes to fundraising, uh, Biden is raising big bucks, but... Trump is raising more money from smaller donors. He is out-distancing Biden on small donor contributions. It's not even close. Why does that matter? 
enthusiasm. Small donors are massively more enthusiastic about voting than gigantic corporate donors. I got a quick break. Back in a minute. You know, being in debt to the IRS can be stifling, folks. People in this situation will tell you every day is a waiting game. Every day is a nail biter. I mean, you know you're gonna you're gonna get harshly worded letters from them. You're gonna probably get a big penalty from the IRS. Your intentions of getting squared away are there, but you don't have the money, and you've 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 heard how tough the IRS can be. And you just really don't know what to do. And it's true. The IRS is the most powerful collection agency in the world. It's only a matter of time before they find you. A lot of people think, hey, I'm small fry. I don't owe that much money. They'll not even notice me. No, it's exactly the small fry they notice. There's so many more small fry than there are wealthy people. Like Willie Sutton said, you're going to rob a bank, go to where the banks are. Go to where the money is, the IRS. If you're going to raise taxes, raise taxes on the middle class. That's where the money is, IRS. You're going to audit people, audit the middle class. Look, this all happened to a guy in this audience. His name is John, and he had one serious setback after another. When the IRS caught up with him, there was no one to explain the family emergencies he was contending with. And they didn't care. They can't care about stuff like that. So John here was faced with a lien on his bank account. Other IRS actions made it difficult for him professionally. So instead of trying to explain all of these circumstances to the IRS, remember he's a listener here, he called Optima Tax Relief. And that, it's a free phone call, changed his life. As soon as he called them, their professionalism, their knowledge of how to deal with the IRS took over and he immediately felt a sense of calm. Finally, somebody knew what they were doing that he had confidence in. All of that after just one phone call. He knew he was in the hands of some real pros. Optima negotiated a deal that allowed him to resolve $40,000 in tax debt on terms he could live with, terms he could afford. Truth is, he wished he had called them sooner. If you have outstanding IRS issues, no matter what they are, call America's number one most trusted tax relief firm, Optima Tax Relief. They have resolved a billion dollars of tax debt already and favorably for their clients. Here's the number, 800-973-7700. That's 800-973-7700. 7700 Optima Tax Relief. They know how to talk to the IRS. Let them do it for you. Hi, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Here is uh, Lacey in Berryville, Arkansas. Glad you waited. You're up next. Hello. Hi, Rush. I am a white millennial college-educated woman, and I taught high school for four years. Um, I don't anymore, but... The point I'm wanting to make is you often reference the Black Lives Matter movement and how there's such a huge portion of the activists who are my demographic. And kind of some insight to that, what I think is happening and why there are so many white millennial women fighting for Black Lives Matter is because when children in today's public school system, when they go through the 12th grade, and they've gone, you know, first through 12th grade, they're predominantly women teachers that they have. There's no male influence in the school. 
And I can tell you from my experience, probably at least half of my students were raised in a home where their biological father was not present. And so they're coming from a home with no father. They're going to school with no male influence, maybe a coach or two here and there. And then they suddenly get to college, and there's much more prevalence of male professors who are radicalizing them. And I think that's where this is stemming from. And so your, your belief is that, that, that these male professors are far more influential on them than females uh, are? I do, yes. Um, from, like I said, my personal experience having students who I taught for several years and then they go off to college and they're completely deranged. I mean, I, I think it's a matter of they have daddy issues and they don't have a male figure to look up to until they get to college and they're so influenced by these professors. That's what I see happening personally. So you think it's male professors getting hold of women, white millennial college-age women, who have not been exposed to male professors up until the time they get to college for the most part, and these these male professors are just pushing Black Lives Matter and pushing white guilt? and push, why, why are the women professors not pushing this stuff? Well, I'm not saying that they're not influenced by the women professors, but I think, I mean, it's just in our, it's in our nature. I mean, we're created to have a father figure. And when these girls are growing up... Hey, ja, ho, 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 who taught you that? Uh, taught me what? Women are created to have a father figure? No, 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 no. We are all, we, we are, I mean, we are meant to have a father. I mean... You mean human beings? Yes. 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 And when we when we're raised without that, I mean, studies show psychologists know this. I mean, this is science that when you don't have a male influence, I mean, and then you suddenly do, they flock to that. Especially girls being so, I don't know, influential influenced by older males that you know. I mean, there's a psychology aspect to it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. All right. So your theory is that the reason so many of these millennial college-aged white women end up being supportive of Black Lives Matter is because Black they... Lives Matter, yeah, and, and all the liberal ideas, not just BLM, but just in the past. I mean, I've seen this. All right. Well, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't, I hadn't put that in the hopper to... Uh, to uh, think about it, but I appreciate the call. You may you may have a point. Glad you called, Lacey. Uh, Lamont in Winterville, North Carolina. How are you? Uh, doing fine, Infinite Dittos Rush. Uh, I was wondering, with all of these uh, peace deals in the Middle East coming through uh, right before election time, if you felt that these uh, countries feel threatened that uh, a weak Biden-Harris presidency would... Uh, lead to a rise in terrorism that would threaten these rulers and their countries. Okay. Uh, do I think peace deals are happening because they fear Biden-Harris and afraid terrorism? No. Um, I, 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 I think they're happening because President Trump has found a way to make it happen. I think it's happening because Trump has given them a, a blueprint See why it makes sense. Look, everybody in that region has wanted peace for who knows how long, except the Palestinians. The only group that's not wanted peace is the Palestinians. I mean, look, there may be some uh, some pockets of, of uh, Arab 
uh, resistance. But the primary objective, primary obstacle to Middle East peace has, has been has been uh, the Palestinians. They've not wanted it. They have talked a good game. They have made it look like they want. But every time, you know, Clinton was not the only one to offer them a package that they couldn't say no to. It was just that, that Clinton's package was everything they demanded and then some. And Arafat ran away from it. Faster than you've seen anybody run away from it. He wanted no part of it. He wanted to get out of there before somebody overruled him and signed it. It's how good it was. So, so no, I, I think I, I, I don't, I don't know what some of these people might fear regarding the um, the Biden Kamala Harris ticket. Uh, I guess they they couldn't be blamed if if they were of the belief that that a, a liberal Democrat administration would not stand up to uh, to terrorism. And it, I can see where it'd be some kind of a factor. But I really think that this is happening because of Donald Trump. And look, I'm not being a sycophant here, folks. I'm not I'm not, I'm not sucking up or cozying up. Uh, there's one one dramatically different ingredient. In all of this, and it's Trump. And if if Trump were the buffoon that CNN says he is, if Trump were the buffoon that the New York Times and the entire Democrat Party says that he is, there wouldn't be this Middle East deal. It wouldn't happen. He wouldn't be able to command the respect. If what they say about Trump on the left were believed by these people, there wouldn't be any of this. Trump obviously has brought a lot of experience to solving problems. And there's something else in this, too, folks, that you cannot ignore. Donald Trump is known around the world as the guy who wants to make America great again. Now, in this country, that's controversial. And it's 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 an amazing thing that it's controversial. Never in my life, you know, I I grew up in the Midwest, where patriotism was as uh, as natural as breathing air and drinking water. And never in my life did I think the the concept of putting America first, of making America great should threaten anybody. We're the good guys. America is the good guys. We don't conquer. We liberate. We do not steal from nations around the world. We purchase things from them. We sell them things. We're not perfect. Don't misunderstand. But we are the good guys. We are the solution to problems in the world. Donald Trump obviously believes this. Trump instinctively believes in the goodness and the decency of the United States of America as a country as founded and as a measure of our people, our population. And I got to tell you, when, when his campaign began in 2015, when I saw Make America Great Again create a bunch of hate... On the part of Democrats, that was an eye-opener for me. 
and that's just four years ago, 63, 63 or 64 years old. I mean, I, I, that, that was an eye-opener to me. Make America great again? You know, what, you know what the left thought that meant? And to this day is telling people what it means? It means a return to slavery. Oh, yeah. It means a return to the antebellum South. It means a return to the plantation economy. It means a return to servitude by American minorities. That's what make America great again. Nothing could be further from the truth. Make America great again has nothing to do with 250 years ago. Make America great again is an acknowledgement that the people who have been leading this country have been selling it out on the world stage for things like globalism and trade agreements, which do not put the United States first. We have allowed our back pocket to be picked because we have been seen as the problem in the world by a bunch of people who had no business leading this country. We are not the problem. And Trump has never believed we're the problem. We're the solution. So make America great again has become keep America great or make America great again because... COVID-19 came along and dealt a serious blow. But stop and think for why, how in the world can that be controversial? How in the world can make America great again be understood by people to mean a return to slavery? You heard anything so ridiculous? There isn't anywhere, anywhere a movement based on that. Nowhere. And yet the Democrat Party is trying to convince people that's what make America great again means. It's patently absurd. But then why? Why are the Democrats so opposed to America being great as we know that means? Why are they so opposed to America being a superpower, to being a great economy? to being a great outpost for freedom and liberty. Why are they opposed to this? Because that's what make America great means. Make America great means it's the place where all of these people around the world want to come. If this country is such a rotten place, why do people of all races, creeds, and colors risk their lives still to come here? It's because it is still the best place on earth for liberty and freedom and prosperity. And I do not, for one, understand how a political party that opposes that even has a chance at winning the White House. How in the world can a political party opposed to freedom, opposed to liberty, opposed to prosperity, opposed to the United States as the shining city on a hill, how can a party like that even have a prayer of winning? Well, the answer is they have poisoned enough minds in this country to believe that America doesn't deserve any of that because America is a racist, sexist, bigoted, homophobic place riddled with unfairness, riddled with, uh, with discriminations. It just makes me sick. And if the Democrats win, what that means... It's I don't even want to I don't even want to think about it.
You see a sign posted somewhere, and it says free Wi-Fi, and you are tempted. Wi-Fi allows you to get more data more quickly. It makes for a better experience. You think it's better than cellular, better than LTE, and it says free there. But, my friends, free Wi-Fi comes with a price tag. The price tag could be your privacy, as in you don't have any. Cyber criminals skilled in these ways love free Wi-Fi. They love going on free Wi-Fi networks and seeing everybody who's there. And then they try to plant malware on every device they can so that you click on a link, you click on something, and everything on your computer gets transferred without you knowing it or even seeing it happen to the cyber criminal's computer. And then it's just a matter of time for the guy has credit card information, uh, passwords to websites, any number of things. And you don't even know that it's happening. You'll never know. There's nothing on your phone that alerts you to the intrusion. So what do you do? It's really simple. Norton 360 is the answer. This is real-time, 24-7 protection that hides you. It hides and shields you and your information. See, Norton 360 has VPN software, virtual private network. It means your connection can't be seen. You can be seated right next to the cyber criminal, the free Wi-Fi network at a coffee shop. You can be seated right next to him. He will not see your connection. If it goes through a VPN, it's invisible. He can't see it. He cannot commandeer your connection. Your devices are not seen. It means your logins and your passwords... Everything about you is all hidden, and that's just one of the features of Norton 360. You get their safe cam feature, which notifies you in the event of a cyber criminal trying to access your PC webcam. There's also a password manager that's included in addition to a host of other features. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime, but Norton 360, folks, it is such a powerful tool if you work online, and you can get 50% off your annual subscription on your first year, norton.com slash rush. That's norton.com slash rush, 50% off. What happened to the calls up there? Is it, are they both gone? Uh, yeah, but one of them um, was really good. One of uh, uh, Do you remember what he wanted to talk about? I've got, I've got a minute. What should Trump do after he wins the election to make sure we don't lose the country? Um, I imagine that stunned a lot of you. Um, if, if, if we lose this election, it could be and it most likely will be the end of the two-party country that you know and love. If we lose this election, folks, we are looking at a one party state. The Democrat Party will own and operate this country, and they will pack the courts, and they will make states out of territories, getting four new Democrat senators so they'll never lose the Senate again. It's worthy of more discussion, but I don't have any time to do it right now. Got to take a brief break. We'll come back and wrap it up. No, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I I actually think that's the Democrats are signaling that this is what's going to happen if they win. I mean, it's 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 what their objective is. We'll, we'll talk about this more tomorrow, my friends. Uh, have a great rest of the day. See you then. 
If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, GovX.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code BUCK in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.